That's okay. I mean, the kids are, we love kids, right? That's a good thing. So, well, let's get into the word this morning. We are in Joshua. We're going to be in the um, chapter 7 of Joshua. And, uh, you know, this is one of those weeks that I wish I was teaching last week's sermon, not this week's sermon. Because last week, the Lord said to Joshua, go and take Jericho, and that's what Joshua did. He gave him some weird instructions and told him to obey this to the letter. I want you to do it this way and that way. And, 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 they, and God's people did that, and they obeyed God, and God blessed them because of that. On the seventh day and the seventh time around the, the walls of Jericho, you know, they're in the full battle gear. I'm sure they were tired as all get out. Uh, it would have been very warm, going around seven acres in the middle of an oasis. Palm trees would have been everywhere. And this fortress has, you know, uh, 30-foot walls that, I mean, you know, that are 30-foot high and 12-foot thick, you know. Very, very difficult. They don't, they don't know how they're going to defeat this, especially walking around being quiet all week. And on the seventh time around, Joshua had, uh, or the Lord had Joshua stop the people. And they were tired. They'd walked over 20 miles that day, not including the walk from Gilgal. Everyone is saying, man, I, I'm, just, I'm just tired. I don't know how we're going to do this. And Joshua says, okay, guys, let me remind you what we're going to do. We're going to blow the horns again, and you're going to shout the loudest you've ever shouted, that you've ever heard, and, and it must have been loud. And the people at Jericho probably, you know, kind of pepped up going, well, what was that, dude? They've been quiet all week. I don't know what's going on. They're probably looking down at him screaming, we got the wall, what do you have? You know, throwing stuff at him and all that. And Joshua says, okay, guys, you need to shout. And these Israelites, you know, they've been walking around the silly wall all day. And on the 13th, you know, chance number 13, because, you know, Adam up all week, had just expired for the people of Jericho to actually repent. You see, this is what it's about. They'd seen the miracle of the, of, of the river, and they'd heard the Israelites coming across. They couldn't figure it all out. God was giving them chance after chance to repent, and our God is a gracious God. He gives us chance after chance after chance to come back to him. 400 years they had time to turn away from their ways, and Judgment Day was showing up finally. So the Israelites, they're next to the wall, and they just they start shouting. And if you've ever shouted really loud, or you know, or if you've ever been in a stadium with with a hundred thousand people, with you know, just roaring loud, and the, the way the stadium is built, the sound stays in. I mean, this this must have been loud. That noise is coming right back at them, and God's people shouted. And then, then after they finished shouting, there was probably this awkward silence, like, "Okay, what now?" You know. I'm sure God let that pause go on for, for just a little bit. And as they waited, then all of a sudden the wall started crumbling. And the Israelites went in. And I'm sure Joshua that morning had, you know, had told them, just like he had told them day after day, the rules. Okay, guys, no looting. 
I know in battle, usually the winners, they take the best of the best and, and they just throw away the stuff that they don't want, but no looting. These are the rules. And they're like, Joshua, you've already told us 30 times. And he goes, I know, but let me remind you of this rule again. The Lord has said, this is my first fruits. This battle is my first battle in the promised land for you and it is about, it is about coming to me. It's about that first fruit for me. And here the Lord has said, Jericho is that first fruit. Jericho is his. No pillaging, no looting. Do not touch anything except gold, silver, or precious metals and stones and those you're to bring to the priest for the Lord. It goes into the treasury of the Lord. No individual is supposed to profit on this endeavor. This is the first fruits. This is a principle of what we, you know, we call it the harvest principle. This is not a, a battle principle, you know. It's not a we won, so we take. The Lord is saying, I know you've been in the desert for 40 years, but this is my harvest first. We'll get to you. But this first one comes to me. And they've been giving to God their first fruits of, the, of their flock and anything else. Of, you know, it was the best. And, and they've, they've had this concept in their lives and in the past. And we have to take that first fruit context and concept. And we start to learn about tithing. We give to the Lord our time and our treasure. We give to him first. When we first get our paychecks, not when it comes to the leftovers. Because I don't know about you. Do you have any leftover at the end of the month? I don't know. For me, it seems like, and it doesn't, you know, they've done this study that, that says it doesn't matter what level of, uh, of income you're at in society or anything like that. At the end of the month, most people don't have much left over, okay? They spend what they get. And the Lord says to us, it's time for us to grow up. It's time to give first fruits to the Lord. And the Lord takes them into the promise. And he wants to teach them a valuable lesson here. And if they win this battle, and the spoils are all the Lord's, it's called the first fruits. The freshness of the blessing of God in our lives before we sit down and dig into our selfish wants and desires, we stop and thank the Lord and we offer thanks to the Lord. Now, you may say, well, you know, well, I mean, we, we've been in this time of uh, kind of not really knowing what's going on with church and with society. We've been closed up. So, of course, he's up there talking about money because he needs more money, right? Because, I mean, he's a pastor and he always wants money. No, no, this has nothing to do with me. I tithe just like other people should be tithing. And like many people, many of you do tithe. So I'm not trying to chastise you. I'm just saying I'm in the same boat as you do. I write my check to the Lord just as many of you write your check to the Lord of the first fruits. We give to him what's already his. It's a basic Christian principle that's shown up in the word of God over and over and over. Jericho is the first fruits, no looting. So let's get to chapter 7. But, <laughs> oh boy, there's that word. I hate it when the chapter of the word of God starts out 
with that word. I like chapter 6. Now, Jericho has been shut up tightly, and the Lord says, I've given it over to you. I like that type of stuff, you know? I like chapter 8. Then the Lord said. But chapter 7, it starts out with, but. But the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Sarah, from the tribe of Judah, took some of them, so the Lord's anger burned against Israel. This is really incredible. God has only given them one prohibition, one thing. This kind of reminds me of Adam and Eve in the garden. You know what I'm saying? One thing you shouldn't do, and what does Adam and Eve do? That one thing. One rule. God is going to give them Canaan. God is going to give them the promise of over 300,000 square miles, including everything that they can see. God is going to bless them. He's going to win 30 battles and three campaigns. And in some of those battles, they will be allowed to take the spoils. But this one was supposed to be for the Lord. One instruction and one instruction only. Hands off. But, but the Israelites acted unfaithfully. Now, this word unfaithfully, it is the strongest word in the word of God for sin. The strongest one. And you know, there are several biblical words for what we call sin or sinning. And take the word sin, what does it mean? It means missing the mark. It's an old English word, actually, uh, and they translated into the Bible, you know, in the time of, uh, you know, in the time of the King's English and, and all that, and they used the word sin for the Greek word, and it, was a, it, was a, it came from a pub game of all things, okay? Think of it like darts that evolved into an outdoor game, and, and uh, you know, they would have a hoop, and they would try, as they would run on horseback, you know, ride on horseback, they would, they would have a bow and arrow, and they would try to shoot the hoops as they went through. You know, they pull out another one and try to shoot it, and if you missed the mark, you sinned. That's where the word comes from. Another word, uh, another word is trespass. Trespass, it does not mean that you tried your best. It means you willfully walked off the path. It wasn't like you're riding along and you're trying to hit the mark and you're trying to do well and you just miss it. You know, that's a sin. But trespass is, man, I knew what was right and I chose to do what was wrong. I willfully chose that. I mean, I could tell you story after story of my kids willfully making a decision. Now, I'm not going to do that today. But you all have, you know, any of you guys have kids or nieces or nephews or, or know any five-year-old, you understand, okay? This is the hunter who steps over the fence in front of the sign that says, Do not trespass private property. And then what happens? The property owner sh shows up with the authorities, the law. They go out there and they get the guy, and the guy's mad at the property owner and the law, right? But he's the one that went over the fence. See, the Israelites 
some of them committed a trespass. Now, we have this in our homes, too. I mean, they're sinning in the pubs where you're just going along and you kind of miss the mark. Trespassing out in the world. And then we have the home. Of course we're talking about the children, not the adults, right? (laughs) Sin is when a child is trying their best. They saw you vacuum. They saw you clean. They notice the carpet is green. And they bring in the water hose to water the grass. Wait, I'm sorry. I had a flashback back to 1974. Me helping my mom. Seemed like a good idea at the time. So when a child does this, you have to deal with it. But it's much different when later on, their garden hose is not a good idea inside the house when the, when the child was now 21 years old and still bringing the garden hose in. Now, I didn't do that, but I'm just using an example. At that point, they're willfully disobeying, you know? Israel was old enough to know better. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now, if you grew up with an angry father, your mind immediately goes there. But our Heavenly Father is not an angry father. He is not like an earthly father. He never loses his temper in that way. He never loses control in that way. He never gets angry and then misses the mark or sins. He does not trespass. So don't equate God with our heavenly fathers. But, the whole, but you know, by the Holy Spirit's power, we as parents are supposed to do the same thing. But sometimes we end up sinning. However, our Heavenly Father sometimes does get angry in a righteous way. But somehow, we have washed that out of Christianity. We seem to forget that part because we don't like an angry God. We like, we like Jesus' love. Everything is okay because Jesus loves me. Which is true. And sometimes, because he loves us, he gets upset with us, with our actions. Now, one of the ways God disciplines us is he lifts that blessing off of us. In the wilderness, there was a cloud by day and a fire by night, right? And they followed that out. But now they've crossed the Jordan, that cloud by day and that fire by night is gone. God's like, I've taught you in the wilderness. Now it's time to see if you've learned anything. The same thing can happen to a group that that stops following his directions. And it happens to those who once had the blessing of God. And now it's been weeks or months or years since God has blessed them. And many times they do not even know it. Just a whole bunch of things wrong. And everybody's just kind of going, why? So what do they do? They try to bring in the fixers. Well, if we just do this, this, and this, it'll fix it all. Instead of falling on their face in front of the Lord and asking for forgiveness. And this is what is happening to Joshua. I'm moving fast today, aren't I? Verse 2. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, in the east of Bethel. 
And he told them, get up and spy out the region. So the men went up and uh, spied out I. Now, I got uh, a a couple of maps here um, to give you an idea. And I'll try to point some of them out. Let's see, the Canaanites are right in here. And they're right, uh, if my memory's correct, they're right over here in this area. And they're going to split the Canaanites right in here. Or I'm a little, no, here, right in here, okay? Um, here, I got a better map. Uh, this kind of gives you an idea of where the, all the Israelites uh, ended up. But here's Jericho, and there's uh, I, and they're going to go right through there. And to give you a, a better idea, there's actually a valley right in here, and you can see it from Jericho. They'll go right through this valley up to Ai. Jericho is the low part. And I is the, the, the high part of it to kind of give you an idea of what the land looks like. Here's one of the pictures of the Judean hills. It's right next to this area. Here's a, a picture of the, um, oh, I forgot the valley it's called as my mind goes blank. But you can see this is down at the Dead Sea level and you're going up to the, the other levels. Now Bethel means house of. Or Beth means house of, and El means God, so house of God, which means, um, you know, that's what Bethel means. Um, now, I means rubble or garbage. I could imagine what that town looked like. And Jericho means Jericho. There's no hidden meaning in the word Jericho. We don't know. Now, between Jericho and I is a 10-mile valley. Jericho is at the bottom, and I is at the top of the valley. And we went on some of these same paths that have been used for thousands of years when we went to Israel. And hopefully one day we will make it back again. I mean, that would just be a wonderful thing uh, to do for some that want to go. So Joshua takes a gang, not knowing that there's sin in the camp, not knowing that people did not obey, and he goes forward with this plan. And he says, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up to I and spied out I. When they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the people have to go up against these guys. I mean, this is a little bitty... Uh, this is a little bitty town. This is a little bitty uh, place. You're not even going to have to worry about it. Send two or 3,000 men and take it and do not weary all the people. We don't have to march 10 miles with everyone for only a few men are there. It's a little no-name town. Put in the second string. We don't need to you know, worry about our, our, our first string. Just put in some people. We'll be back before lunch. I mean, they just conquered Jericho, Right? And Joshua does not seek the Lord. Verse 4, it says, So about 3,000 men went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the uh, city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. So we start to see this sin of self-confidence within days of the battle of Jericho. And they start to forget who won the battle. God won the battle. They didn't win the battle. No one consulted the Lord here. And he allowed them to continue with their own plan. And a 36 of their brothers, uncles, and family members, and grandfathers, depending on all the age groups, <coughs> who got left, the ones who couldn't run fast enough, 
literally laying there, stabbed in the back as they were running away, and they got caught, and now they're dead. The team totally fell apart. And I bet you they were sitting there thinking, what happened? Where did everybody go? You see, Israel was not, <clears throat> not used to that defeat. They know something is wrong. 36 widows cried all night that night. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down, verse 6, to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. This is a very uh, Middle Eastern type of thing. You, you tear your, your clothes as a sign of grief, and, and you, you fall on your face, and you put dust on the top of your head. It's a grieving thing. And this is really Joshua's fault. This is a leader's fault here. If the army goes off and fights battles before seeking the Lord, then it's the leader's fault. And 36 people died, and the leader had better be before the Lord. If you, any of you have ever been in a leadership position, you should understand what I'm talking about, especially if you've had people under your command. You care for them, and in many ways, you love them, and you would do anything to see them succeed. I mean, it's awesome when somebody succeeds, and you're sitting there going, that, that's great. That is awesome. I, I'm happy for them, and you just get so excited. Joshua is rightly on his face before the Lord because the opposite has happened. A little late to be laying here now. It should have happened a lot earlier. It should have been done beforehand. Verse 7, it says, and Joshua said, Ah, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us in the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Oh Lord, what can I say? Now that Israel has been routed by its enemies, the Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? I love that he's trying to guilt trip God here, you know? He's depressed. His perspective is, is really messed up here. He doesn't understand everything. Everything is awful. Moses tried this 40 years before. Do you remember? Moses tried to guilt trip God. So, Mo, so Joshua had saw him do that. So Joshua tries it 40 years later, uh, you know, and, and Joshua's probably thinking 40 years ago, man, that was a good prayer, Moses, I, you know. Way to, way to box God in there. I'm going to try that myself now. And he's just, you know, I'm just worried about your reputation, Lord. Your reputation. I, you know, not what we've done. Verse 10, it says, The Lord said to Joshua, Stand up. What are you doing down, uh, doing down on your face? What else is he saying to him? Grow up. Why are you doing this? Get up. Israel has sinned, verse 11. They have violated my covenant, or they've transgressed, which I commanded them to keep. Wait a minute, Lord. We're not on the same page. I'm, I'm, I would imagine Joshua thinking, we're talking about AI here. I mean, I here, aren't we? We're talking about, we just got defeated up there. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, this is all news to Joshua. The Lord goes on and says, they have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen they have lied. 
to put them with their own possessions. This is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they've been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. This is some serious stuff. He's basically saying, I want to bless you, son, but I refuse to bless you if there's sin in the camp. I refuse to do that. Stop playing games with me, he says to Joshua. Tell your nation to stop playing games. He's like, I'm not in the mood for it. But Lord, I didn't know we were playing games. Lord says, but you're still responsible. So I have to ask. You see, we we don't talk about money much from the pulpit around here. We hit it when the scriptures hit it. You know, you know, just like every smaller church in the nation, you know, yeah, we could always use a few more dollars to be able to do this or that ministry or, or be able to take care of this building-wise and all that. I understand all that. But it's not about the money. It's about us following God's direction. See, we only go here when the Scriptures go here. And it's very clear the Scriptures win here. So I have to ask, are you giving your first fruits to the Lord? Now, if I wasn't, my mind would automatically start making excuses. But the Lord is very clear here on this issue. You're not giving to the pastor. You're not giving because the pastor asked you to give. It's not giving because that's the way your family has always gave. It's not giving because the church has bills to pay, just like every, you know, just like every family has bills to pay. It is giving because the Lord has commanded it as part of his first fruits. It's also an act of worship. So I have to ask you a question. Are you giving your part of worship to the Lord? Now, before you blame me for a guilt trip, Think about it this way. I, as your pastor, am held responsible for your actions in certain circumstances. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. I don't think it's fair. But that's the way the Lord has set it up. Also think about it this way. God will not give you his full blessings until you start following him Plain and simple, period. This is not from me. This is from God himself, and this is what his holy word says. So don't get upset with me about this. Go to the Lord and discuss it with him. Or apologize and start living in the ways that you should. Because I don't really care how much you give. But I do care that you're following the Lord's commands. Or if I do care that you're, you know, if you're one missing the mark with sin. Or I do care that maybe you're willfully trespassing. Because God will not and cannot bless us as a church or as individuals. You know, he doesn't allow us to come in and go, Lord, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me, if I'm not obedient in certain things. 
I bless my children when they're obedient. I discipline my children when they're disobedient. I mean, that's a plain concept that we all understand. God disciplines his children when they're not obedient. He blesses their children when they're obedient. So if you want to be blessed, be obedient to God. God says, you can't hide anything from me. I know everything you're doing. And our attitude is, but God, that's not fair. But it is. Because we have come to the Lord and said, I want you to be in charge of my life. So therefore, it makes it fair. But we're in this tug of war with God, you know, about our will. Verse 13, it says, Go, consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow, for this is what the, what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. That which is devoted is among you, O Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove it. In other words, you're going to continue uh, this until you, uh, you know, you're going to continue to lose until you repent. In the morning, he says, and this amazes me, God knows who has done what. Just like he knows what we do. Why does he wait till tomorrow morning in the scriptures? Why does he wait? I mean, I would not. <laughs> Let's all gather up. Get everybody out of their beds. Let's talk about this right now. But God goes, no, 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 no. Tell everybody in the morning we're going to deal with this. I think this is God's grace right here. I think God's giving them a chance to come to him and come and confess their sin and deal with it if they come forward. So let's find out if they do. Verse 14, it says, In the morning present yourselves tribe by tribe, and the tribe that the Lord takes shall come forward clan by clan, and then the clan that the Lord takes shall come forward family by family, and the family that the Lord takes shall come forward man by man. He who is caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire along with all their belongings to him. Early the next morning, Joshua, wait, where did I get? Oh, here, he has violated the covenant of the Lord, and he's done disgraceful thing in Israel. I bet you some people didn't sleep well that night. You know what I'm saying? Early in the morning, verse 18 or 16, Joshua had, uh, Joshua had Israel come forward by tribes, and Judah was taken. You see, all along the way, they could have admitted what had happened and repented. But they continued to walk in line just like everybody else. Like, oh, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll do this. Thinking they can get away with it. Verse 17, the clans of Judah came forward and he took the Zerahites. He had the clan of the Zerahites come forward by family and Zimri uh, was taken. And Joshua had a family come forward man by man and Achan, son of Camry. Uh, the son of Zimri, the son of Sarah, of the tribe of Judah was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give him the praise. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Verse 20, Achan replied, It is true. I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. I mean, he's caught now, so he's admitting it. He could have admitted it all along, but now he waits. So discipline happens. When I saw the plunder of beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them, uh, coveted them and took them. They're hidden in the grounds inside my tent with silver underneath. 
So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was, hidden in the tent with the silver underneath. They took the things from the tent, brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites, and spread them out before the Lord. Joshua lays it all out for everyone to see. Can you believe this? What has this guy stolen? He stole enough money and enough items to buy himself a chariot, which is huge money, okay? Two horses and everything they needed to eat for the rest of their life. Now, that's a lot of silver, right? But that's just the silver. Let's talk about the gold. He stole enough gold to buy himself a whole herd of camels, like $8,000 each, a herd of oxen, and some sheep and goats. So this isn't just some silly little money, you know, on the side that he just kind of pocketed. He either (coughs) had to get some help from someone, or someone saw him doing all of this. Why is he going, he's Why is he bent over carrying all that weight? You know what I'm saying? Somebody had to know what was going on, and he probably had to search for this. That means he probably had to go through closets. He probably had to go through different places to find this stuff. He's all alone, and he's unaccountable, and so he's deep in sin. And then he steals his Babylonian garment. I mean... Not to mention the Babylonian money, but, but he had to bury it so later he could melt it down. And, and the family had to know about this, and, and, and they all suffer the consequences. Now, I don't understand the Babylonian garment. This is like, you know, going to Fifth Avenue in New York and buying some fancy dress that costs thousands of dollars. I mean, where would we wear that in Tulare? You know what I'm saying? Where is he going to wear that? Where is it? Um, not him. He's going to give it to his wife, most likely. Or a mistress, who knows, because his actions in the middle of sin. But where are they going to wear that? The sin was trespassing. Trespass. It was hidden in the house. So let me ask you something. You have something hidden in your house? No, Pastor, I don't got anything hidden in my house. It's on the seat of my truck, you know? Whew, that was close, right? I have the feeling that the Holy Spirit is talking to some of us right now. And you're thinking, man, I need to get rid of whatever it is. That one is, is sin, or two belongs to the Lord. One of the two I have to deal with. <laughs> or maybe it's a setting on the computer, or a file on the computer. Delete, delete, delete. Get your life straight. Now, why do I care enough to bring this up? Because, again, much better preaching about Jericho. Let's go. Let's take them. I want God to bless you. We're supposed to be living a life of God's blessing. And we can do that when we follow his ways, his commands. And we don't pull out the Jesus card. Well, Jesus is all about grace, thankfully. Because our God's the same God as yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Sin is sin. Period. Missing the mark is missing the mark. God won't bless you 
if you play the wrong game. And here is Achan's sin. In fact, he goes on in verse 24. Then Joshua, together with all of Israel, took Achan, the son of Sarah, the silver, the robe, the gold wedge, his sons and daughters, his cattle, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, what have you br- why have you brought this ter- uh, trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all of Israel stoned him. And after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. Over, uh, over Achan, they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, the place has been called the Valley of Achor ever since. Now, you see why I'd rather teach last week's than this week's. I don't like confronting people about sin. But as a pastor, sometimes it's necessary to, you know, to flat out say what you're doing is wrong. What you're doing is sinning. Now, luckily, we, you know, we don't take you out and stone you like they did in biblical times. But I tell you, there's been times in my life where I've been so angry with somebody and what they did and how they treated another person or, or the sin that they committed that you wanted to go out and do that. You know what I'm saying? But the Lord doesn't have us do that anymore. But what I do want to point out is one or two things as we close. What got Achan to this point? What can we take from his life that we can say, okay, this might prevent me from doing this? Well, first off, he was alone. This is where we really trap ourselves when we get alone. He was out searching for gold and stuff in the city. He got away from everybody. He was trying to hide stuff. Why do we think like this? He could have called somebody. He could have told somebody, you know, I'm really feeling like I should do this. And they could say, no, brother, don't do that. No, the Lord said. But they get alone. Second, he was celebrating victory. When we're celebrating victory, we tend to throw out the rule book. I mean, just think about uh, um, any uh, national championship or Super Bowl or, or, you know, basketball championship, whatever. And what happens in that city usually? Starts out as a party celebrating and then it turns into destruction, right? Celebrating. We were just celebrating, oh, now, now I ended up pregnant. I was just celebrating. See, we're going to look, get a look at, uh, at the transgression of sin in verse 21. And, and, and think about it like this. He saw, he coveted, and then he took. Three steps. One was not a sin. He saw. The second one is, he coveted. That's a sin. The third one is an execution of the second one. He took. I don't want to stop on a negative point, but, but time-wise, I, I think we need to stop here. But I also think that we need a, a time where we reflect on our own lives and, and say, Lord, what have I saw, what have I coveted, and what have I took from you? Is it time where I haven't been spending it with you? 
Is it money? Is it some other sin, some other thing that, that, that I saw and I coveted? And then I executed on that covetedness? See, we need to go to the Lord and say, forgive me for this, forgive me for that. Because if we really truly want God's blessing in our lives, then we have to follow what he asks us to do. Just like with my children. If my children want to be blessed, they need to act a certain way and follow certain directives. And if they don't, I take away the blessing. The other night, uh, uh, one of them was being a little honorary, Brandon. I won't tell you who. Um, but... Uh, I almost, I came this close to sending him to bed without eating his dinner. You know, I was just like so fed up. And I was just like, uh, you know, I, I, I was so close. But Lisa calmed me down. <laughs> Luckily, I have a wonderful wife that does that. But sometimes God has to get angry with us and send us to bed without our dinner. You know what I'm saying? We have to search out our lives. And say, where have I sinned? And we have to confess that and give that back to the Lord. So think about that as I pray right now and as the worship team comes up and we'll finish up. So, Lord, for those that need to confess, I pray that they do that. I pray that they come to you and and that we would say, Lord, I have sinned. Let me tell you what I've done, even though that you already know what I've done. And Lord, please forgive me of this sin. We thank you for being gracious enough to forgive us when we confess. Lord, we want your blessing on our church. We want your blessing on our individual lives. We want your blessing on Tulare. And we pray that we're used that way. But Lord, ultimately, we pray that we're we're in sync with you enough that we understand that your blessing comes from our obedience. Lord, give us the strength to obey when we don't have the strength in our human you know, in our, our humanness. Give us the people to surround us so we don't end up alone, that we don't end up by ourselves out there. Give us the ability to call a friend and say, this is what I'm thinking, and allow that friend to tell us whether it's wise or not. Lord, we thank you for not taking us out and having a stone like, you know, like Achan. We thank you for your grace and your mercy in our lives. And we pray that we can follow you. Allow the Holy Spirit to to direct us when we don't have the strength. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face never turn from you, especially when you're seeking him out. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.